0: For our second reading this morning, I have a poem by Lynn Unger. Lynn Unger is a fellow UU minister, and she specializes in religious education. This is Lynn's poem, Camus Lilies. Consider the lilies of the field the blue banks of camas opening into acres of sky along the road. Would the longing to lie down and be washed by that beauty abate if you knew their usefulness, how the the natives ground their bulbs for flour, how the settlers' hogs uprooted them, grunting in gleeful oblivion as the flowers fell? And you... What of your rushed and useful life? Imagine setting it all down, papers, plans, appointments, everything, leaving only a note. Gone to the fields to be lovely. Be back when I'm through with blooming. Even now, unneeded and uneaten, the camas lilies gaze out above the grass, from their tender blue eyes. Even in sleep, your life will shine, make no mistake. Of course, your work will always matter. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. And you. What of your rushed and useful life? Imagine setting it all down papers, plans, appointments, everything, leaving only a note gone to the fields to be lovely, be back. When I'm through with blooming. When I'm feeling overwhelmed by work, a nice day is a cruel thing. (laughs) A nice day, much like the days that we are having this very weekend, beckons me away from the endless list of tasks I have. I suspect many of you have a similar list. It says, come outside, stop working, enjoy yourself, be idle. Sometimes I heed its call, but too often I don't. Some of my fondest memories as a child are of the two weeks each summer that my great-aunt Ruth would come and visit my family's Montana cattle ranch. My great-aunt Ruth was a schoolteacher in Umatilla, Oregon, in the Columbia River Gorge. As a schoolteacher, she had summers free and would make the trip by train, if I remember right, to see us each August, or sometimes in July. And what I remember most fondly about my great-aunt Ruth is that she had lots of time for us kids, She had time when our own parents were busy with summer ranch work. Now, my great-aunt Ruth was not a small woman, ample, some might say, (laughs) but she had no lack of energy for excursions with small children. She would take me and my little brothers on nature walks around the ranch We were always a little bit mystified as to why a walk on our own property would be considered a nature walk. (laughs) But great-aunt Ruth made these walks educational. I learned to identify dozens of plants and birds from her. She taught us the different names for the trees that we all just thought were pine trees. (laughs) She showed us places to hunt for quartz crystals or for fool's gold. Because she had grown up on the very land we were growing up on. She shared her child with us, childhood with us as we adventured together. A remarkable thing about my great aunt Ruth was her pace. She simply did not hurry. Ever. And this was good for walking with small children. We never had to run to keep up, and she could take all of the breaks that she needed to show us things. It was my great Aunt Ruth's love of idleness that made her visits special. We kids weren't in school, and neither was she. Summer was a time to rejuvenate. It was a time for rest and for play. I'm sure that she did help out with chores during her weeks with us, but this work was the price to be paid for days filled with long walks, novels read, and conversations. She did not rush. We in turn learned to go at a slower pace ourselves. We learned to love summer more. Whether we're working or retired or something in between, each of us will wrestle with life's busyness-idleness balance. Each of us will have times in our lives when we feel completely overwhelmed by our responsibilities. And likewise, each of us will have times in our lives when idleness threatens to become depression or actually becomes it. Most of us, We'll work long and hard most of our lives. Most of us will give up vacations and holidays and weekends to attend to work or family. Most of us will have bosses who seem to want more and more and more. And most of us will develop an inner voice that chides us for not working more. Most of us have an inner critic that scolds us for being idle even when idleness might be the thing that we need most. Now, I don't have to tell you that Concord and the towns around us did not prosper through sloth. (laughs) And First Parish in Concord has not grown to be the largest UU church in our region by accident. Some might call us a type A church in a type A town, I hope that this is not completely accurate because it doesn't feel so good. But the personal drive for perfection that I suspect we feel did not come out of nowhere. My guess is that it is related to our collective work ethic, which stretches clear back to our Puritan ancestors Make no bones about it. We are the heirs of Peter Bulkley and those 12 families who showed up in this spot in 1636. My guess is that rest and leisure and play fly in the face of production and perfection and acquisition. My guess is that we all have some spiritual work to do in this regard. And as I tell you over and over again, I never preach a sermon I don't need to hear myself. (laughs) One motto I was raised with was, idle hands are the devil's tool. Let's see a show of hands, speaking of hands, of anyone who heard that growing up. Was this something in your family too? Idle hands are the devil's tool. In its most straightforward reading, this phrase, idle hands are the devil's tool, is meant to keep us from getting into mischief. It implies that if we are not working, we will be getting into trouble. If we are not producing, we will be lured into loafing and lethargy, drinking and carousing. If our hands are not working, the devil will tempt us into a life of irresponsibility and sloth. But well, while you do not likely believe in the devil any more than I do, this sentiment's hold in our culture is undeniable. It sets up a theological dualism that says, work is good and idleness is bad. It says, God approves of us only when we are being productive and not when we are lazy and any of you who doubt how strongly this sentiment is enforced in our culture only have to look at how African Americans and Latinos in particular have had it used against them. False and stereotypical images of the lazy Mexican or the black welfare queen are a direct result of our cultural prejudice toward production at the expense of idleness. But this has not always been the case. And religion at one time was the loudest voice favoring idleness and rest at least one day a week. Prior to Moses and the Ten Commandments, the world had never heard of a God who would insist on rest. This was radical stuff, folks. This God of Abraham and Sarah commanded all people to rest Jew and Gentile, slave and free. And not just humans must be idle on the seventh day of the week. Ancient Jews understood the commandment to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, to mean that all labor would cease for 24 hours. People would not work, nor would their servants or hired hands, nor would their animals. And this was as radical in the days of Moses as it is radical today. For then, as now, there are those at the top of the economic food chain that had time to take an unproductive weekend or a long vacation, but those working beneath them enjoyed no such break. To have God decree rest as a commandment, meant that God valued idleness, too. So how did we get from an obligatory Sabbath? And this wasn't just Jews. I remember my great-grandparents insisting that Sunday was a day of rest. There was no work to be done on Sunday, and they were all good Christians. How did we get from an obligatory Sabbath to idleness being evil? How did we get from summer leisure to working all the time? How did we find ourselves in a place where a beautiful day cannot lure us away from our computer? When did idleness have to be filled with something, filled with anything? When did the television have to be constantly on or our smartphones constantly in hand? When was the last time we just did nothing and didn't feel guilty about it? And how, oh how, can we regain idleness? For we are very much in need of it. Well, I would urge you to goof off more. Just goof off more. And I can urge you to goof off more without the slightest fear that anyone in this room will become lazy and irresponsible. I can urge you to goof off more without the slightest fear that you will neglect your work or your family or yourself, because I know you. I know myself. We just aren't the kind of people to let idleness ruin us. Rather, we are just the kind of people for whom more idleness might give us better health. One of the prerogatives of a minister is to gently exhort his or her congregation in directions of greater health. For the main role of religion is to rebind us to what matters. The main role of religion is to remind us how we fit into the greater scheme of things. So here I am this morning urging you To goof off more. Try putting things off if the weather is nice. Try taking on less to begin with. Slow your pace. Get some things off your plate. See if you can just be and enjoy. See if you can keep at bay the guilt of not being productive. Each summer, one of my great Aunt Ruth's favorite things to do on the ranch was pick raspberries. And anyone who has ever picked raspberries, especially in an overgrown thicket of them, knows raspberries cannot be picked quickly. The thorns are fierce, the berries ripen one at a time, and only will come off their little cones when they're ready. A raspberry patch usually has ants in it, or bees, or both. The canes grow every which way. Long sleeves, good shoes, and a sturdy hat are advised. And there would be my great-aunt Ruth, out in the patch, picking raspberries for the longest time. When we kids would help her, We would discover what was taking so long. My great aunt Ruth put two raspberries in her mouth for every one that went in the bucket. This was a practice that we children quickly adopted as well. We thought it was a good practice. Great aunt Ruth was picking raspberries for the pleasure of them. This was not work. This was recreation. Likewise, when she eventually came in with the bucket filled, she did not plan to turn these beautiful raspberries into jam, oh, no. They were to be eaten with sweet cream at the next possible meal, every last one of them. My grandmother would look disapprovingly as my family ate a bucket worth of raspberries suggesting that some of them might be better put to use if they were put aside for later. But we all understood that the raspberries would never be any better than the day they were picked. We enjoyed them now, and by enjoying them now, we honored my great Aunt Ruth's idle hours in the raspberry patch. We agreed with her that some things are not to be quantified or commodified, Raspberries were a gift, and we received them graciously. And you, what of your rushed and useful life. Imagine setting it all down, papers, plans, appointments, everything, leaving only a note. Gone to the fields, to be lovely, be back when I am, th- am through with blooming. I hope for each of you that you will find a time in this next week to leave such a note. I wish you idleness and pleasure this last sweet week of summer. For Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed as beautifully as a summer day. So be it. Amen.